I felt a lot of ownership over Zillow, both in a practical sense that like I had equity in the company and also just because I'd been helping grow it for a long time and you know, it felt like it was my baby in a lot of ways. Thanks everyone for joining. Today we're with Rebecca Bastian, who I'm incredibly excited to talk to because we're both aligned on the same mission uh, we're after and kind of slightly different ways, but we've both become incredibly excited about careers and shining a light to like the complexities of navigating careers. Um, and uh, I think it's better that uh, Rebecca describe it in her own words. So Rebecca, tell us a little bit about you and what you're up to. Hey, Jay. Thanks for having me on here. Super excited to talk about it. You're so right that we're very aligned. I am the CEO and co-founder of OwnTrail, which is a platform where women visualize and navigate our life paths. So we are all about the the very real nonlinear paths and the way that our personal and professional lives are inherently intertwined as, as we navigate those. Um, and in addition to being a startup founder, I'm a writer, an artist, a mom, a community builder, um, a budding angel investor, and a startup advisor. So lots of things that I really embrace the multi-hyphenate, which I think is sometimes not always as obvious in, in our, like, and the bio that we might traditionally share about ourselves or the titles that we hold. Yeah. And I'm, I'm excited. Thank you for that. I'm excited to talk about that. Cause I think a lot of people struggle with that and, and for, for, for the right reasons, cause I'm not sure the world's ready for, for people to do that. And it's folks like you blazing the trail, pun intended, uh, making it easier for, uh, for everyone. So the way I like to kick this off is when was the first time in your life that, you really thought about your actions in the context of career, um, where you were taking like a deliberate choice in a way that you thought it would affect your career. Not necessarily like what you're doing today, but you're like, okay, this action I'm taking is for however we define career, but like my work. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely been some points like that, but not as many as you might think. <laughs> I guess, you know, the third time I went to college. <laughs> Failed out the first time, then I went to community college, and then I transferred into uh, um, mechanical engineering at University of Washington. So I say around that point, like mechanical engineering was a, um, a means to an end career-wise kind of, but the career in my head was I want to be an inventor, which, you know, I guess as an entrepreneur, I am that, but not in the same like kind of gadget-focused way I had envisioned initially. But that, that would probably be like the first career-driven decision that that I made. Oh, I love that. So when, when did you, when were you able to put words around this idea of being an inventor? Like what, what helped you arrive at this notion of being yeah an inventor? It's like such a specific word. Um, but it like get, when you hear it, you know, I think of Beaker on DuckTales. I think you and I are of like similar generation where we probably watch that show. Um, but that's, that's kind of like, you know, the, the, the gadget maker, the, what, what, like, how'd you arrive at that? Yeah, or like Penny on Inspector Gadget, right? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, well, you know, like like most of the stories were like, it's funny because you can look at like my LinkedIn or my resume and be like, wow, she's had a very like accomplished career in a lot of ways. You know, I grew to be a corporate executive and I've started coming. I like most of the things that turned out to be really smart career decisions were not made with a whole lot of like planning or, <laughs> or being too strategic. So the inventor one, I was like, sitting around with an ex-boyfriend and his brother drinking tequila. And I was like, what do I really like? I'm like, I, think I, I like inventing stuff. I'm, I want to be an inventor. And then his brother was like, 
well, I think mechanical engineering is a degree you get for being an inventor. I was like, okay, that's going to be what I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny we have, how that one went down. Yeah. We have that in common. You know, I went to my high school counselor, uh, college counselor, whatever that was. And I, I was a comic book artist. I like drawing. I like making stuff. And I said, oh, I want to be the person that makes those like really cool car drawings, with, like the thick black lines and the markers. And she said to me, that's a mechanical engineer. And I came <laughs> home and told my dad that. And he goes, that's not that. He's like, he didn't know that it was called industrial design. But he knew it wasn't right. mechanical engineering. Uh, fair, I think he connected fair. to the word engineering. And he's like, that's definitely not that. Um, and so he was a builder. I ended up studying architecture. But, you know, it was kind of – I was led to, led to believe that mechanical engineering, which is I think a very – you know, we both now know probably a pretty good sense of what mechanical engineering is. And it's not what we were after as I would say like both being more like ideas people. Yeah, I mean – I definitely had a heartbreaking two weeks at the end of undergrad where I told this professor, so I had, I didn't know what to do after undergrad. I still wanted to be an inventor and I had applied to two grad schools. And then I was like, well, if, that, if I don't get into one of those, then I'll figure something out. And I, one had already rejected me. And I talked to this professor in my program and I was like, yeah, I don't know. I want to be an inventor. And he's, he's like this really like old, like kind of bitter guy. And he goes, well, you, you picked the wrong degree for that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, no. And then like a couple of weeks later, I got into grad school at, at UC Berkeley for mechanical engineering. But like the whole master's program there was all about like new product development. And while I didn't go on from there to actually do mechanical engineering, like I actually the most important stuff I learned degree wise was there around like how do you like come up with ideas that solve problems and, you know, which basically is is inventing and then a lot of the processes around that. So you've got this degree um, and you've got – I would say you had clarity on what you wanted to do, which was inventing. Like how did you pick your first job? Like what, what were – like how did you think about doing that? Yeah, you're going to keep getting this theme for me with every question I answer. So <laughs> I, I was doing a long-distance relationship with my boyfriend who was still up in Seattle and I was down in Berkeley. He's my husband now, so that worked out. But basically, I just wanted to get back to him. And um, in terms of like where I live next, and I signed up for an interview on campus with Microsoft, and I was like, oh, they build hardware stuff, I'll go do a hardware interview. And I showed up, and the guy was like, um, yeah, I don't know how to give a hardware interview, I'll give you a program manager interview. And this was something I'd never heard of before, but I, you know, very low pressure since I'm like, oh, great, I'm interviewing for something, I don't even know what it is, I'll just have fun with it. And I ended up getting the job. <laughs> so I ended up moving back up here and working at Microsoft for two or three years um, on Outlook and learned what a program manager is and, and experienced that. I, I think the really important thing there for people to take away is this like right balance of being open to opportunities, you know, having some, some intentionality, which I think you did, um, right? And it doesn't always have to be like for work, but, it, and the kind of distinction between work and life, I think, is a, a false one, right? They're very much integrated. And when people try to kind of like compartmentalize them, I think it ends up not working out. But you did have an intentionality. You were open to opportunities and you, you, know, and you ended up going to work at a really remarkable company, like fresh out of school. Yeah, I, everything you're saying, I'm like, yes, 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 that's exactly it. Like the, the way our personal and professional lives are intertwined and the way you can like be directionally guided 
by values or passions or, or skills or what you want to be working on, but like staying open to where that can lead. Because like, you know, a lot of like pretty much everything cool I've ever done in my career wasn't something that I could have predicted much ahead of time. And so you're at Microsoft and you're there for, for around two years working on Outlook, which is like software on everyone's computer at the time. Um, and like, not how their favorite, like, but it, what's that? <laughs> so not their favorite software. I got a lot of complaints, but <laughs> oh, I, I loved Microsoft I thought, I, and, and Outlook. I thought obviously, you know, I don't know. I have a, like a different level of sympathy for software given that I've been trying to make it for so long. Um, That's and every, every day my sympathy grows bigger. <laughs> um, so, so how, what was that like? Cause I think a lot of people in that moment in their life, they think about like, Oh, should I go work at a big corporate or a little company? And they end up like really getting wrapped around the axle on a topic like that. You know, how were you able to like make the most out of that? And, and how did you think about that experience as you were going through it? Yeah. I mean, I took it cause I didn't have any other job offers. So there wasn't like a big like decision tree there. Um, I didn't apply to, I just, I didn't know where to, I just didn't else to go um and to be honest i didn't like it that much although like i think i got a lot of really good experiences there in terms of like the big corporate experience and just learning like this role program management which you know aka product management which is something i've now done for like pretty much all my career um but it wasn't that fun and i was i was just kind of like oh so this is what it's like to have a real job it's kind of a drag, but okay, <laughs> you know, like I didn't know, like I'd been bartending up until then and also doing like every other random job in the world. So like, this is my first real job. And I was like, okay, well, this is what working life is like, you know? <laughs> and so, um, it, yeah, it was okay. And I think part of it was like, I was working on a very legacy product. So there wasn't a huge opportunity to like make a lot of changes or like innovate from scratch that much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like the big corporate thing probably isn't my jam that much. Like there's a lot of layers of um, decision making and less transparency, at least there was at that time in that org. So it was, um, yeah. But the thing that made me leave was the commute. I hated the commute. Mm. And <laughs> I was, I, I live in a neighborhood in the northwest um, corner of Seattle, Ballard, and Microsoft was in Redmond across the bridge. And it was terrible traffic. And um, so I went, eventually I just decided, I'm like, this is making me crabby. So I decided to look for other jobs. And it's actually the, the first employee at Zillow that answered an ad off of Craigslist. Everyone else had kind of known someone there already. And it was super early days. But I literally was like, well, downtown Seattle, that sounds much better. I'll try this. Was, yeah, that was the end of my, my Microsoft years. <laughs> and what were you looking for? Were you looking for like program management, product management? Like, yeah, that's the roles you were, you were after. And that's what you found on Craigslist. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I this time I interviewed for two jobs and got both of them, but I, I chose this one, which was really funny because like they it was such stealth startup mode at the time that they wouldn't really tell me what they were working on. Like <laughs> I knew that it was you know the founders had a great track record. They were the, the co-founders of Expedia, and um, I knew it was in the real estate space. And the people that I met in the interview loop seemed really awesome. And I was like, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Like it doesn't work out, and I take another job. And startup sounded fun. Um, so yeah, I just kind of leapt into it so, <laughs> and I, it I was that, an incredible decision, like obviously in, in hindsight. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you ended up being there for 15 years and we'll talk about yeah. the various roles you had there. Um, to say in today's day and age, that's, that's not that common. Um, but to, you said like, what's the worst that can happen? And I feel like 
a lot of people don't treat career decisions that way, especially earlier in their life. Um, and I'm sure you've mentored a lot of people now at this point, and you know, you've been able to, to be kind of iterative on different parts of your career, even though you had that sort of stability in Zillow for 15 years. Like, how, how do you think about that? And how do you guide people on this, this mindset that like, you can be iterative, most career decisions are actually not one way doors, uh, two way doors to use another Seattle company reference, um, and Amazon for anyone listening. And, and I kind of believe that, but I think it's hard to convey that to folks, you know, but you kind of, I think the folks with higher risk tolerance are willing to sort of embrace that and take a little bit more like an entrepreneurial approach to their career, even though they're not starting companies. Like, how do you think about that then? And, and how do you think about that now? Um, I think I thought about it more then by not thinking about it that much, you know, like I didn't agonize over the decision. I was just like, this sounds interesting, you know, like, I think, you know, I'm trying to think of like the timing, like I, I got married right in between Zillow and, um, or right between Microsoft and Zillow. So I guess I was married. I didn't have kids yet. I felt like just some, you know, like I could always get another job kind of feeling. So I just, I didn't think too deeply. The way I think about it now is is a lot more intentional. And what I've learned is that, you know, like you said, careers can be iterative, but I would even take that step further and say that they're additive, which mm. means that you're never starting over. You're adding to the experience that you already have. And I think that's something that I've learned through the complete fear and identity complex that comes from taking major swings in your career several times that, um, and what I find is that like, oh, that was really scary, but on the other side, it's still me and I'm not starting over. I, are, I still have all the skills and experiences that I already have, and now I'm adding new ones as well. And I think that additive nature is is kind of reassuring, you know? I think that that's such a better adjustment of the language than iterative. Um, they're additive. Uh, and I think that's great because I think all these things, and I think people don't approach their career that way. Like we talk about skills uh, within Teal sometimes as assets. It's like, I have this thing. I don't want to use it. I don't want to, like, I have this ability. I don't want that to be my day job, but also you like don't need to resent it. Like you have to recognize it as a thing that you have. It's in, it's an additive component of who you are and you can tap into it when you need to. Um, oftentimes like people conflate the context with the ability and so it's like i hated that job i don't ever want to do that again it's like no you just didn't like what the situation you were in but maybe the task wasn't so bad you know and like you actually there's a reason you went into that field in the first place um yeah all right so oh go ahead oh no it's just i agree that it's it's not it's less about you know the skills can be applied to so many different things and take so many different forms right all right so you you go to zillow um, ends up being obviously an incredible company, still a credible company. I check my estimates all the time. I look at my, I, I think I look at those emails faster than almost anything when like a new house pops up in my neighborhood. So it's been uh, really an incredible company doing some incredible things. And you started there as, as a very early employee. You know, job tenure these days is two to three years. You were there for 15, which I think, you know, but you you were able to move up in the company you know, and, and explore a lot of different things and uh, have a bunch of different roles. So once you were there, what was kind of like that next moment? And you're like, all right, I'm ready to do my next thing. And you kind of hit a, one of those like career plateaus and made you think about, you know, how, how to get the next thing, you know, within Zillow. You know, to be honest, there's only one moment that felt like 
this might be a plateau I want to consciously do the next thing. I think the rest of it, like, which I'll talk about. But um, for the most part, it was all like, it, it, the growth was very organic. You know, like, um, you know, early early startup days is are really cool because you can basically just raise your hand for anything. And it's like, there's so much work to be done and, you know, there's so much to do. Like, if you say, hey, can I help with that? The answer is generally yes, you know? <laughs> and so, um, and I did that a lot. And um, got to take, you know, work on most areas of the product over time because of that. Um, you know, like one pretty cool one early on that happened a little bit more intentionally, <laughs> but, but also like I have another theme in my career is like side projects turning into full-time things. But um, pretty, pretty early on there, when the iPhone first came out, some developers and I were like, hey, this is really cool. Let's play around with like what a mobile app would look like. And we just did it on the side. And it took a really long time because this was before there was like APIs for functionality and stuff. And um, we, we just worked on it because it was cool and exciting to us for quite a while. And then when it finally came out, like it was huge. And we were like, you know, Steve Jobs is sharing it on stage and, you know, we're featured. And like next thing you know, like two thirds of our usage is on, on mobile. And so I got to like be the first um, product leader on on the mobile app team and stuff. So that was like a pivot and a really cool experience and getting to lead in that space. But it wasn't it wasn't waiting for like, hey, we're looking for somebody to do this. It was like seeing an opportunity and taking it. And that's something that like I've gone on to embrace every chance I get since then too, because that's um, you know, when you talk about like where do you apply your skills, it's kind of like, you know, where you're needed and what you're passionate about. And sometimes you have to create those things. So creating roles is something that I think feels super foreign to people where it's like, well, that's not the JD. I'm worried. I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, you know, no one asked me to do that. And it seems like you've done that a few times. And so I'd, I'd be curious, like what advice you'd have for someone who's, you know, maybe feeling stuck. A lot of people think their choice is to like leave, uh, you know, leave the company, but they actually want to stay at the company. And that's a lot of you know, a lot of heartache to do that, but you feel like there's no growth potential. I feel like you've been able to find ways to keep the growth loops going. Um, so can you talk a little bit about that one? And that's a huge shift to go from a VP of product, which is, you know, pretty up there in the product org to then like making almost like a whole functional pivot within the company. Yeah. I mean, that one, that's where, when I mentioned the identity complex, that's where that one came <laughs> was like, which is the funny thing was that like, you know, like I mentioned, I've been I've been spending years doing side projects around like, you know, creating social impact for our products, getting more diversity into our tech org, like cultural initiatives to really take what was a very positive culture organically and, and turn it into more like an intentionally positive culture and um, all those things. And then like I had that aha moment of like, this is where my real passion lies. Like when friends would ask me, how's work going? I'd start like excitedly talking about all the side projects, you know, and so um, so I basically pitched this idea for this new division in the company. And I started with my boss, our CTO, um, and then went over to my future boss, our chief people officer, and then, you know, our CMO and our CEO. And basically, like, and it was a very iterative proposal where each person I talked to kind of like, you know, riffed a little bit and kept adding to it to the point where everyone signed off on this idea. And I was able to convince them that like, yes, even though like at that time, my, my product org was everything driving revenue for the company. So I had to make a pretty compelling pitch that like, yeah, this thing that is literally the bottom line of the company isn't going to falter if I step away from it, but there's so much upside for this new area that we haven't fully invested in yet. And so, but then the wild thing was then I freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> After everyone said yes, that's when I was like, wait a minute, 
I'm a product person. I'm a woman in product. I'm a woman in engineering. Like all these titles that I'd always kind of rolled my eyes at that had been given to me, suddenly I'm like, wait, that's who I am. I can't go over. I'm not like, I'm not going to go work in HR. Like that's, that's nuts. And so like I actually went so far as to send a Friday night email to everyone saying, never mind, I don't think this is a good idea. <laughs> and fortunately, they were like, um, hey, let's talk about it on Monday. <laughs> you know, <laughs> kind of talked me off the ledge. But it was really scary. And um, so it's both, I guess I mentioned that because it's both how do you create the opportunity and get buy-off, which, you know, I think also a big part of that equation is working at a company that's open to that to that kind of thing and not all companies are unfortunately but um but then there's also like your there's an ego piece that you have to grapple with too and that's like that's probably the biggest example of what i mentioned earlier of like learning that our careers are additive and not you're not starting over because like once i finally like took the plunge and got got my bearings and started building in this new space i realized like wow i'm using all of the skills that i already have all the experiences i already have and i'm learning a ton of new stuff too and that's really awesome and so that was that that real kind of additive conclusion and how how did you think about that time on side projects so you know going back to this this tension between like my time and where i put my time and you know every hour over 40 i'm like diluting my hourly rate you know a company doesn't own that time and you know i'm a big believer that we all actually work for ourselves whether we run the company or we're, we're an employee um but how did you think about how you were investing that time and and you know because you could have been doing something outside you know in today's parlance that would be a side hustle <laughs> you know um but you were cho choosing to focus on these like corporate extracurriculars. Um, how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I'll say for one, it's a great question, a few answers. For one thing, like, I have gotten to this point, and I've been at this point for a while, I think, where like, I pay attention to what gives me energy and what drains my energy. And when it's things that give me energy, I have a huge capacity for doing them, and it doesn't feel like a, a compromise of my time. Like, if these were like things where I'm like, oh, this sucks, but I should be doing it. That would be a really different story, you know? So these were things I was excited about that were energizing to me. Um, I felt a lot of ownership over Zillow, both in a practical sense that like I had equity in the company and also just because I'd been helping grow it for a long time and, you know, it felt like it was my baby in a lot of ways, you know? And so it, I, did, I didn't have that um, feeling of like, this is my time, not their time kind of feeling. Um, and so I think that's, I mean, which I think is super important is to give employees that sense of ownership, both financially and emotionally, right? Because that really, that, that drives a lot of that. Um, but also, I actually kind of thought about it in, in a flip sense, which was like, wow, I feel so lucky that I get to be working on the stuff I'm excited about with the resources of a large company. Mm. Because if I was doing this on my own, I wouldn't have those resources. You know, like this was like, I was working on like, products that that tapped into like the homelessness space and housing stability and stuff and that was something i was really passionate about like i'm on some boards in that space and everything and i'm like how cool is this that i get to leverage the resources of a huge brand and a huge company to be building in this space that i'm really excited about because i see all these people trying to do it on this side with no resources and it's a really hard thing to tackle you know so i actually felt lucky for being able to do that under the umbrella of a, a larger company and it, what i'm seeing is that you were able to like understand value, like beyond pure comp, right? Which is, I think that's one of the tricky things in today's like discourse around careers is because it's the most measurable, everything goes back to comp. 
And, and I think it's done us a bit of a disservice. We have a ton of work to do on comp in general and equality and diversity across all layers. So it's important that we measure it. But I also think it's somewhat like muddied the way people are able to think about other forms of value beyond dollar. Yeah. I think you, you gave a great example of like being able to use resources to learn that I may not have had otherwise. Yeah. Well, I, don't, I mean, I know that's traditionally true that comp is like the, the deciding factor, but when you look at what's happening right now with the great resignation and people leaving high paying jobs to do lower paying jobs or like I've, you know, like we're paying startup salaries here at own trail and we have, you know, and we includes equity and includes like, you know, we we're definitely, um, and we're very transparent about all of that, but I'll say like, I've had way more applicants amazing applicants for these jobs than a lot of the like much higher paying jobs I've had to hire for in the past. Like I think people, especially right now, are leading with more than just um, base salary in terms of their decision making, which is really cool. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that's why like mission and what the company is after is is so key. Um, I completely agree with you. Um, and I think that there's folks who are like really looking for mission driven companies. Um, again, I think comp isn't the main thing, right? People want to be close to family. And so I think the great resignation, reshuffle, realignment, you know, <laughs> all these different, but I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. Right. I think the reason we've had six months in a row of like record voluntary resignations is for exactly those, those points. But I think what you said is true too, which is that I think it's for people who have made job decisions based primarily on comp, they're, they're a tying a lot more monetary value to every decision within their work than people that are doing it for more passion-based reasons, right? Yeah, and that's kind of what I see. It's like what, because we don't have like mechanisms to quantify the value beyond the dollars, it like narrows the scope for folks and they can't think about these intangibles um, in other ways, uh, which, you know, I, I think we're, we're starting to see it, which I think is great. Um, but I think folks like you kind of understood it a long time ago and well, a long time ago, neither you or I are that old, but you know what I mean? Not today. <laughs> um, Perfect. But value is beyond the dollars, right? It was experiential. It was like the, you know, these boards that you got to be a part of. The other thing that I've seen as, as a pattern in folks that operate this way is a little less of a longer time horizon in the decision-making. Maybe not explicitly, like I know that in five years I'll be able to do this, but this kind of belief that these actions I'm taking today will have value in the future and I don't need like immediate returns. Like, do you feel like that's something you were conscious of as you were doing it? I mean, kind of, you know, I, I'll do, I mean, that's basically what um, being responsible is, right? Like. <laughs> You know, like I do things I don't want to do today because future Re Rebecca will appreciate it, you know, <laughs> so in some sense, but, um, but also like, and I think this is a big part of the reason that like I started, own, well, that I wrote a book called Blaze Your Own Trail and then started Own Trail was like the number of people I ended up having conversations with, um, really, and I'm one of those people that says yes to every coffee meeting. So I talked to a lot of people and, um, I just felt like so many people and especially women were like felt like they needed to know where they were going way out here and exactly how they're going to get there and feeling like they're going to get it wrong. And like both, like you mentioned, the missed opportunities that can come from that, but also just the stress that comes from that, you know? And um, and it, it's not a surprising feeling because we live in this world where you see what appears to be these picture-perfect linear paths and these wins. And so 
when you're struggling and when you don't know exactly where you're going or when your path is, is much less linear, you can feel like you're getting it wrong. And really, like, that's the goal behind Own Trail is, like, let's see what the paths really look like and let's own our story on our own terms because, like, what you're seeing on LinkedIn or on social media or on resumes is a very small part of the picture. And, um, and it can lead a lot to a lot of those feelings of being not enough and feeling like you need to like have that that exact plan nailed down i'd be curious how how you guide people on this because i wholeheartedly agree with embracing the non-linearity of our um careers the kind of expansive additive nature of our careers but then on the flip side i would say like the market wants linear careers Right, like I want a person who's like done product their whole career. I want to see that you're super, super focused, that you're a specialist, that maybe in some context, right? Maybe startups want generalists, but I feel like generally, right, in the hiring process, I want to de-risk it and I want to know someone who's like done this exact job before, and like this is what they want to do, and like my dream state would be this like ultra linear, like perfect. This is who I want. H how do you? When people are like managing that tension and you could say, look, I disagree. The market wants generalists. I'm happy to have that conversation. But like, how do you think about this like market versus what what's real and, and how I navigate that? Yeah, I mean, I like I think I like to zoom in more to the micro level where it's not just the market, but it's like who is that hiring manager? Or who's that recruiter? And I think that what they want like yes a shortcut is a very clean linear obvious set of titles and big companies and degrees or whatever it is like that's a really easy shortcut or bias but like i think what these humans want is a story that convinces them that this is the person that can do the job the best mm -hmm. right and sometimes that story is very linear and a lot of people tell it that way on their resume but like i think that's a lot of the power of like you know creating your trail on own trail or you know going through a, a lot of the the steps that you recommend on teal is that like how do you own your story and share it? And you're the one that creates your narrative. So your, your narrative isn't, doesn't get to be created by some recruiter who's looking at 500 resumes today and, and patches together what your story is. Your narrative is like, you know, what, what are the things that you wouldn't even see on your resume that make you good at your job? Because for me, I think the things that make me best at what I do aren't the things that would necessarily be on a resume. And, or they're, you know, it's definitely just a, a piece of the picture. And so, um, you know, I, I, the things that I would like to see are people owning their stories more and more fully and authentically and holistically. I would like to see hiring managers and recruiters like learning how to look beyond those shortcuts, which I think there's initiatives that play there. Um, you know, I'll say anecdotally, because I've been a people manager for over a decade now and I've hired countless employees and the best people I've ever worked with have been the people that have had like non-traditional backgrounds in terms of how they learned or the job experience that they got and that have had winding paths. Like hands down, like, I feel like I have enough data to, to say that in a st statistically significant way. So like how do we kind of help people understand that and rethink you know, some of those biases that they're looking for? Yeah, I love that. I think the idea of the, the story and owning your story is key. What, I, what I've seen, be effective, like in the context of a job search, as a person who like wants to do a lot of different things and, and has done a lot of different things is that you don't necessarily need to tell the person everything you've done. 
I think a lot of people think that they need to like throw the kitchen sink. And it's like, they're going to pick out the 10 things that are relevant. And that's where I think like the onus is on the person growing their career to tailor their story, like for the interaction. It's like, it's great to have documented it all, feel incredibly accomplished about it all, but I don't need to tell everyone about all of it. Right. And it's like being selective of when I reveal it and when I tell a particular version of the story or like a vignette of the story, then everything in the book. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do a free service for friends over the years where I've edited a lot of resumes also. <laughs> and it's definitely like there's a lot of oversharing on there sometimes that, that you need to kind of parse down. Um, and I think this is something that, that I'm sure you, you help people with a lot too through Teal, but it's like, it's the two way decision too, right? Where like, I think it's, it's important to like own the story of where you've been, but it's also really important to look at that and recognize like, what are the things that you've experienced so far in your life that, that you want to keep doing or bring forward with you? And what are the things that aren't serving you that you want to move away from? And then being really intentional about identifying your aspirations based on that and looking for that in the companies that you're interviewing with or the opportunities that you're assessing and really you know i think it shifts the power dynamic too where it's a two-way decision and you you know you feel confident both in you know who you are and what you bring but also what you're looking for you know what was what was that kind of like that next big moment from the product to transition and into being part of like the hr function um well, I mean, it was taking the leap and <laughs> building the team and because it was a new area for me. I mean, I've been doing it on the side, but there's experts in this space. So I think the best thing I did was just hiring a really incredible team to learn from and to really lead in different areas of that vision, um, which I was so lucky to do. And again, back to like you end up being able to have really incredible people to choose from when you're hiring for something that has a lot of impact behind it. Like people really like to apply their skills to to making a difference. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I grew that team and we did a lot of really innovative work for um, just over two years before, uh, two and a half years before I left to, to start Own Trail, which also wasn't like a <laughs> conscious decision. Like I never woke up and said, I wanna go start a company. You know, I, I actually did literally wake up with an idea for the book that I wrote <laughs> and um, blazed your own trail, which, is um, it's this like choose your own adventure exploration of the different decisions and pathways that women take through their personal and professional lives. And like literally woke up at four in the morning with the idea for that and then just started running with it. And about you know five months later had signed with a publisher and um, there's about a year window from when you sign with a publisher to when the book actually comes out. And so I was like, oh, I could do some really cool, like kind of product-based things in a book launch website. And I started playing with that. And then that's really when I started to have these kind of like really big aha moments around problems to solve and ways of solving them really around like, how do you embrace nonlinear journeys and how do you own your story? And how do we see people who look like us in the places we aspire to when we don't always necessarily have that in our direct purview? And um, Own Trail was born from that. And so that was the next, like when you talk about like, Huge swings, I think, obviously leaving a 15-year corporate career and very comfortable corporate executive job to start a startup is um, one of, you know, kind of as big of a swing as it can get. <laughs> but, <laughs> so that that happened. Actually, um, a couple of days ago was our two-year birthday. So we, we've been doing this for a couple of years now. Congratulations. Um, it, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, we have that in common. Um, well, to go back for a second, you said something that I don't want 
to get glossed over um, because I think it's a sign of a really amazing leader and should be more common. He's like, I got to hire people that I could learn from. And I think a lot of people don't, don't recognize that opportunity that comes in hiring and leading. And that oftentimes we get to like hire people that fill in our gaps. And if we really embrace that, you know, th there's so much opportunity, but it's this pressure that like, I need to know everything all my direct reports know. I need to be able to do everything that they can do. And I, and, and I, I don't know, I, I just, I want to call attention to that because I feel like you really embody that in a lot of the things you do and the people you work with and collaborate with that hire people that I could learn from. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think I had a fortunate entry into people management in that my first several direct reports, like I was asked to lead this new team in 2011, which I know because I was eight months pregnant at the time. <laughs> so I basically started the team and then went on maternity leave. Um, but I was asked to lead this new team that was focused on um, revenue and tools for, for real estate agents and stuff. And my first several reports were software developers, and I am not a software developer, I'm a, I'm a product manager. And so I actually think it was a really good entryway into people management where I had to be humble enough to ask questions and be, you know, be there to clear roadblocks and help prioritize and ask good questions and find people that could give answers that I couldn't give. And I think that like, it sets you up to not feel like as a manager, you need to be like, you know, know everything or, or micromanaging or whatever. And so, and then obviously over the years, I've also managed plenty of people that share my same experience and background, but I think that that's what set me up to do that. And I think like the humility of um, knowing that you don't have to know it all. And, you know, I was, I was lucky to get positive feedback from direct reports who enjoyed me as a manager, even though I wasn't in their like same skill set. And so, um, yeah, I think that's probably what, what set me up for that. And then over the years, it's just, it's a, um, it gets reinforced every time you do hire someone smarter than you and it goes really well, you know? And, um, you know, I, I certainly, as an, as a manager of managers, I always really try to encourage and appreciate people who are doing the same. And, you know, like you're never overshadowed by your employees doing amazing work. Like that reflects really well on you as a manager as well. So yeah, it's, it's important. And I think, you know, just the employee experience of feeling like you're, you're coming in because you're bringing something new to the table and not just to fill in gaps. It's a really different experience too, you know? Yeah. I think that's a, a fantastic leadership point is, and you can never look bad for your employees. Can, can you say that again? Cause I thought that was amazing. Basically you said you can never look bad by like your employees being amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like if I'm looking at, you know, a manager that reports to me and their employees are killing it and they're giving recognition to their employees for that, I see them as being a better manager than like, it's very obvious when someone's trying to, trying to take credit for someone else's work under them or, you know, it's like, uh, you're not, you're not really fooling anyone with, with that for too long. So, but it's also comes out in like employee surveys or employee feedback about like people are happier working for someone who recognizes and appreciates and, um, and gives them the autonomy to do the best work that they can. All right. So you wake up at four or five in the morning to write this book. Um, you know, that in, even of and of itself is a daunting, the idea of like writing a book makes my head spin because I struggle to like write a tweet, but, um, you, you write this book and you sort of, you, you get it going and you, you know, um, 
no holding you back. And so talk us through a little bit about that process and like how that became a company. And it, it sounds like you kind of got compelled by it so much. You're like, all right, I got to do this like full time. Like I, I just got to make it happen. Yeah. So, um, wait, you want the book process first or the, the company process? Yeah. Like, at a high level, you know, just kind of yeah. like your, your thought process more so than the tactics, like your emotional journey of like going, you know, identifying this thing that really intrigued you, identifying how, how much it could help people. Then the process of saying, well, actually there's like tooling around this. Oh wait, that's actually a company. I need to find a co-founder and like, you know, now you're two years in and you're doing great and it's awesome. And it's an incredible community helping a lot of people, but kind of the, 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 the mental leaps you needed to take to get here. Yeah. Okay. So the, the book was a, a process of just like, well, first of all, I really enjoyed writing it, um, which I would definitely recommend for anyone thinking about a write, writing a book. I definitely recommend doing it because you enjoy the process, not just as a means to an end, because otherwise that sounds really painful. Um, but it was a creative outlet for me. And also I set like daily goals in terms of writing and stuff to keep myself going. Um, and then, yeah, I could go into a whole different conversation about like the, the rejection and finally finding a publisher and everything. Cause like that's a process in and of itself. Um, and then, yeah, like when I started, so first I was like, like I said, playing around with this book launch website and you know that feeling when you have like an idea on the tip of your brain, almost like a sneeze that's waiting to come out. And you're like, what is it? And I just kept talking to people about like, what is this idea? Like trying to like, you know, just having more and more conversations, trying to trigger the sneeze to come out. And, um, and then it, it finally, like, it <laughs> just kind of all came together of like, yes, we need to be able to see what these real journeys look like and be able to share them. Like that was the kind of thing. And so I started, um, you know, well, first I called my friend Rebecca, who's, who was our first advisor, Rebecca Level, and she has, she's a huge player in the Seattle startup ecosystem. And so I was like, I have this idea for a startup. Can you advise me on like how to start a startup? I mean, I'd advised other startups before, so I had some insight into that, but I was like, so she, she kind of started helping me think through it. And Carolyn, our VP of engineering is an old friend that I actually used to commute to Microsoft with. And so I, um, grabbed lunch with her and it was funny because when I had first um, signed my book and we were hanging out and she's like, oh, well, if you ever want a book launch website, let me know. I'm happy to help with it. And <laughs> so I called her. I'm like, you know that website you offered to help me with? <laughs> and so um, then I actually, I just kind of accidentally met my co-founder, Katie, around that time at an event that we both almost didn't go to. And we connected and she asked me out on a friend date after that. Um, She's kind of new to the area and so looking to meet her people. And we totally hit it off. And I started telling her about this thing that I was working on on the side. And like she just got it and was really excited. And um, that basically started the thing that now happens just constantly every day, which is both of us like getting each other more excited about different ideas and <laughs> building on them. <laughs> so hasn't stopped since then. But um, yeah, I mean, we worked on it on the side for a few months and then... Um, I think we just kind of collectively had this realization that like, if this is really going to go somewhere, we need to do it full time. Um, and so, yeah, we, me and Katie and Carolyn all quit jobs that we love to, to dive in and do this. And so that, that moment, like if we, if this is really going to happen, we have to do this full time. I feel like a lot of people really wrestle with that. And I think it's one of those things that People just think like, oh, they just quit their job. But it's, I think it's far more intentional and thoughtful, especially, you know, you had a family, you had a lot going on. And I think people do manage that risk and manage that transition 
like way more than like the headlines would would lead us to believe. So again, how how did you plan that out and and like ultimately make that decision? I'm sure there was a night when you're like, oh, all right, I got to tell people I'm doing this. This is really overwhelming, and I'm doing it. Like, what what was that like? Yeah. Well, so okay, the first thing I did, which was smart, was like from the beginning. The second, I felt like this could be anything. I like wrote a whole email to my legal department and said, I'm working on this on the side. First, I ordered myself a, a computer because I've been using my work computer forever. Mm. I ordered myself a computer <laughs> and started doing everything on there. So it wasn't on like a machine owned by Zillow. And I wrote a letter to um, you know the, the um, in-house counsel that I work with on stuff. And I was like, this is a project I'm working on. It's I'm doing it only outside of working hours on my own machine, and I don't know what's going to happen with it, but I just want to like fully disclose that. So I think that was smart to do. Um, not that I think they were going to come after me, but you know, just cover your bases. Um, and then, yeah, like I guess we had kind of talked about like, okay, we're going to launch in February because Own Trail launched February 2020, which was the same on the same day that my book came out. We kind of planned the launches to be together for amplification and stuff. Um, and we were like, yeah, let's like, we'll launch it. Let's see how it goes for several months. And then we can decide if we want to do it full time. But um, it was actually, I was on vacation in Mexico in December of 2019. Um, and, you know, just having some reflective staring at the, the ocean kind of moments. And I was like, it was like, this is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if we keep doing it on the side to see if it takes off before we make a decision, then it has a lot less likelihood of taking off than if we just like make a loop and go all in. And at this point, like as Rebecca, one of one of my advisors said to me at one point, she's like, well, the toothpaste is out of the tube now. Like there's no way at that point I could have gone back and be like, never mind, I think I won't do this. I'll just go back to my job. Like it was just like this thing where I was like, everything I've learned and done in my entire life has led to this moment and I can't not do this, you know? So we talked about it when I got got back from vacation and we all decided to we all um i gave my notice i think on january 2nd when i got back from, from vacation and then i didn't end up leaving until the middle of april because like you know i wanted to do a really very slow off-ramp to make sure i was setting the company up with you know because i had started this team and they were so supportive and like the whole thing was very like good and supportive and wonderful vibes all around so um it was a lot. There was some months there that I almost can't remember because I was still a VP at Zillow, was CEO of Own Trail, and we were live then. And as you know, once you once you launch, there's no part-time CEO anymore. Um, and school had just shut down with the pandemic, so my kids were at home. And I literally, like, I was just in, like, the most survival mode ever. So <laughs> mostly blocked it out. But, um, but yeah, that, that was the, the most intense few months of it, I think. Yeah, that's, it's uh, you know it's amazing how these things come in waves like this, right? It's like I've got friends that like they're move, they decide to move, have a kid, like all the same year. I'm like, but it, 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 somehow it just happens. Like these things cluster, but you came through it on the other end. I think more successful, more resilient. Um, it's really incredible. We could probably do a whole another episode on on own trail, but our our goal here is to kind of like talk through the path, um, which I think you gave us an incredible view into. Um, so thank you so, so much for that. How can everyone find out about all the cool things you're doing, your book, your site, your trail, give it to us. We'll link it all in the show notes, but love to have people hear it from you directly. Yeah. Well, if you're listening to this, you probably find life paths to be interesting. So please check out own trail. It's owntrail.com. And, um, anyone can check it out. Anyone that feels comfortable in the space that's centered on women, you're welcome to share your trail there. We would love it. We're growing through word of mouth still. So share it with 
every inspiring trailblazer that you know um, and connect with me on there. I love to, I read every trail and love connecting and following along on people's journeys. Um, both me and Own Trail are very findable on Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn as well. So follow us there. And um, yeah, I just, I love to, to connect and, and learn more about the journeys of all your listeners. And your book? Oh yeah, and, <laughs> and that too. Yeah, it's called Blaze Your Own Trail and it's available anywhere that books are. I If you go to owntrail.com and there's a link in the footer for read the book and um, you can find links to some of my favorite um, small booksellers there if you want to go that route. In fact, if you order from my local bookstore, Secret Garden Books, and you put in the notes field that you want it signed, they'll call me, I'll run over and find a copy for you too. Amazing. That's awesome. Well, Rebecca, thank you so, so much. And uh, we'll get people sharing more of their trails. Thank you. So fun to talk. And that's it for this episode of Nonlinear. If you enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe, share, and rate us wherever you're listening to the show. You can learn more about Teal on our website, tealhq.com. That's teal like the color, T-E-A-L-H-Q.com. Or follow us on social media at teal underscore HQ. Thank you so much for joining us. And please tune back in to keep hearing about how we make the decisions that shape our career. The Teal Career Paths podcast is produced by Rainbow Creative with senior producer Matthew Jones and editor and associate producer Drew McPowell. You can find more information on them at rainbowcreative.co. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.